0: Welcome back to the Good News Podcast. My name is Ayebale, and I'm a pastor at St. Paul's Free Methodist Church in Greenville, Illinois. I'm currently going through the ordination process, and one of the great gifts that the church has given me uh, is the opportunity to be a part of their rotating pulpit. The message that you're about to hear has been pre-recorded, uh, but whether you heard it live uh, or long after it's been uploaded, I believe that the Holy Spirit is present. I hope you enjoy, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts and feedback uh, and comments. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. After Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you, everyone is searching for you. And he answered, "Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for this is what I came out to do." And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. <laughs> this morning, I'm faced with a bit of a conundrum, because should I preach the gospel? then you must leave here with a decision to make. For the divine demands a response from your life, from you that nobody else can make on your behalf. This is the stuff of being born again and again and again. But understand this, that your theology has nothing to do or little to do with what you think you know and what you think you believe. Your theology has everything to do with how you live your life in response to the very good news of Jesus Christ. This message will reveal to you yourself if every Sunday you are eating just bread and drinking juice, or if you are encountering a light, a living, dying, and resurrecting God. And I think that the, be- the message begins by stating that to suffer is to love and to love is to suffer. Will you accept that? So this might cause half of you to adore these words as you're comforted by the good news, and while the other half of you might be frustrated as you're plunged further into a suffering that you're all too familiar with, of course you don't need a preacher up here to tell you that life is full of pain and suffering, but also that life can be filled with glory and joy and laughter. I imagine both will exist within the same body, but woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. That is why we gather every Sunday. And before you blame me or sing my praises, I have a list of people who are also responsible. These are gifted authors who have helped write this sermon, and so I wanna just name a couple of them. Callie Barige, John Jackson, Sam and Nate Paul and Whelan, Charity Stafford, Ben Wayman, Bob Munshaw, Blaine Burns, Abby Cox, Ali Fry, Elliot and Deborah Renfro, Pedro Valentin, Clarence Javon Falls III, Liz Goodnight, Simon List and Lissy Brooks, Matthias Zunizer. the list is extensive, but perhaps the most gifted authors who have shared their stories with us, Isaria and Markel, who invite us into a divine friendship. To them I say thank you for revealing Christ to me and to the community, that we might know that we can be loved unconditionally and that we are also then capable of loving others unconditionally. A path of living, a path of dying, and a path of resurrecting. Again and again and again.
1: On a much lighter note, who here
0: has watched Ice Age 2? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, who hasn't watched Ice Age 2? Reveal yourself. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys about a character that's probably my favorite in all of the uh, Ice Ages, which is this squirrel, this saber-toothed squirrel named Scrat. I love Scrat. He is funny. All the poor guy wants to do is to be... One with his acorn. He's, he's on this quest of protecting this acorn and it seems that the forces of the world are always coming to attack the acorn and separate him from his beloved acorn. And so Scrat's entire life is dedicated to cherishing this acorn that he has. The poor guy lives in scarcity. He's terrified at every turn of the corner, at every event that this acorn might be yanked away from him. And if I remember correctly, the whole Ice Age thing started because of the acorn. Like there's, like he put it deep into the ice and then something split and then everything, yeah, butterfly effect. But in Ice Age 2, Scrat dies and his whole life that was depicted as this struggle to keep the acorn with him is finally come to a halt as he enters heaven. Or he's, It seems that he's a little bit confused as to what's going on. He doesn't know, you know, is is this really heaven? Where am I? but cue the dodo birds that are singing like angels and Scrat begins to walk and then he begins to waltz towards the, I don't know, the clouds, there's nothing. And then all of a sudden he runs into this golden gate and he bounces out and now the gates start to open slowly and now Scrat sees what heaven looks like. It's endless with acorns (laughs) upon acorns. He can't even count them and he begins to realize I can grab these acorns and nothing will happen. He starts to uh, collect them. And, and finally, it seems as though Scrat can find rest. None of the acorns evade him. His anxieties and shock of what the afterlife might behold are quickly turned into gratitude. And, and really just rest as he realizes that this is not a dream. The acorns almost seem to hug him back. And then something catches his attention. He's hypnotized and he sees this giant glowing acorn. And now that is the one that you have to go get if you're scrapped. But I ask, do you know what rest is and do you know what rest looks like? Do you know what rest feels like? Or like Scrat, have you been running for so long that you can't even, you don't even wanna care to remember how long you've been living in fear of what might evade you, or perhaps anxious about the thing that might be exposed within you, first to yourself and then to those around you. The symphonic music plays as he levitates towards this giant glowing acorn and he's dancing with joy and he's, he can almost touch it. He's elated that now the running has stopped and he can reach the acorn. And just as he is about to touch it, a strong wind yanks him away. He can't fight this wind. Try as he might, he cannot fight as he is dragged out of heaven, clinging onto the golden gates, and finger by finger, he's yanked from the afterlife. He's not dragged to hell, though. For Scrat, it might be worse. He's dragged back to life. He wakes up to Sid the sloth, having successfully performed CPR on him. <laughs> And it's almost like, what have you done? You didn't see the giant acorn. Why bring me back here? He realizes what he's missing out on, what he's been missing out on this whole time. So I ask you, what acorns are you chasing? And what is the giant acorn that you are striving towards? Because perhaps Scrat's experience is a depiction of what happens on the average day that you wake up, longing to be afforded a few more minutes of escape found in slumber. Perhaps, Scrat's experience is a depiction of the weekly engagement in worship, that the pews in which you sit provide a momentary escape from the life outside of the four walls of this church, a momentary escape from the demons that haunt you throughout the week. Or does Scrat's near life experience Speak of a shame that you feel as you profess the words, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. At a quick glance at our culture, it's revealing that all of us are running. And yet for different reasons. Because according to this today's gospel reading, Jesus is running too. Jesus' posture is different. However, God did not become human so that human could hide from God. If you leave your baggage at the door when you walk in, you will pick it up the moment that you leave. It's inevitable. And so, perhaps you're here in efforts to avoid death. And if so, beloved, it's both good news and bad news that you have come to the wrong place. In the Christian story, death always precedes the resurrection. It is unavoidable. You cannot have one without the other. The church cannot be your escape. Worship cannot be your escape. Your spiritual disciplines cannot be your escape. For God became flesh, that salvation is in the body and the blood, which you will never escape in this life. You will not be healed by any distraction. And yet here, you will find a divine attraction to the body and blood of Jesus Christ that which reminds you of God's mighty works of salvation and that should you say yes to this journey, there's no other way for it to progress. Praise the Lord as we anticipate that the Lord rebuilds Jerusalem and gathers the exiles. Praise the Lord as we anticipate for God to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up our wounds. Praise the Lord as we anticipate and look forward to the things that God does in order to lift up the lowly and to cast the wicked to the ground. Praise the Lord, for God will provide food for the flocks and the herds and for the young ravens when they cry. Beloved, we hope in God's steadfast love for we cannot find rest outside of the practices and the realities of love. Distraction is not love. Legalism will not provide justice and righteousness. Perfection will not comfort you and it will not complete you. Accomplishments will not minister to your soul. So why are you running? Why are you here? Knowledge will not and cannot liberate you. If you build for God a temple and live in your own house. You must dwell with the Lord. Controlling the narrative can only get you so far. Smarty pants. Listen to what Martin Luther says. Not King, but Luther. In his preface to the New Testament, he gives instructions for anyone who dares to read these words. He says To know his works and his life story is not the same thing as to know the gospel, because it does not mean that you know that he conquered sin, death, and the devil. Similarly, it is not knowledge of the gospel if you must know doctrines and rules of this kind, but you will know the gospel when you hear the voice which tells you that Christ himself is yours, together with his life, teaching, work, death, resurrection, and everything that he has, does, or can do. Alas, Jesus is running too. So often we hear how our Western culture is really the, you know, that's the culprit of being busy. And it's destroying the church and it's hindering the connections and relationships that we have. And the willingness to participate in church life seems non-existent as a sign-up sheet feels like pulling teeth. Our best reasoning, I got a thing to do that day. I'm I'm too busy. I got to, it's a lot. I just, you know what? I need to make time for my Sabbath. That's what I need to do. I need to spend time in prayer to stop doing and to just be, and, and that will be where I find rest. But I ask, do you know what rest looks like? Do you know what rest feels like? Or has the invitation to follow Christ been morphed into a religious mandate to ensure that you gather all of the acorns that you can possibly find? Alas, Jesus is running too. If you read Mark's gospel, it won't take long before you're out of breath from trying to keep up with Jesus immediately this just then that as soon as they left they told him at once they brought to him the whole city buzzing gathered around and he got up and went and Jesus wakes up mad early and his followers hunt for him and while he's in the time of solitude and in prayer they have the audacity to interrupt God while God is praying everyone is searching for you If I'm Jesus at this point, I say, duh, that's why I got up early. I know they're looking for me. Jesus has already healed healed Simon's mother-in-law. And after news spread around the area, the whole city is buzzing and gathering around the door, bringing to him all who are sick and possessed with demons. Jesus seems to have the power over the human conditions which afflict them, as well as over the spirits which torment them. And yet there's something peculiar about Mark's gospel if you read just the first chapter. Because there's only three beings that get Jesus's identity right. In this book of this messianic secret where it's hidden from, well, dramatic irony, it's hidden from everyone else. There's three beings that get it right. The first is the voice in the wilderness, this wild guy with camel's hair and he eats locusts and, right, and then there's a voice from heaven, and then there's the voice of demons. Those are the three that recognize Jesus for who Jesus truly is before any other human being can proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. In Mark chapter 1, verse 24, it's, they say, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. How many times have we asked this exact question, not with our lips, but with our lives? Seeking comfort in our acorns while scoffing at any opportunity that the kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, give me resurrection, but keep that death piece. I don't oh, I'm not here for all that. I just want Resurrection. Or perhaps death is already a pungent smell that you just can't seem to shake. Either way, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, but can you please answer my question? Jesus, have you come to destroy us or have you come to build us up? Why is my life the way that it is? I think that's the question being asked by the demons. If I'm familiar with the story, the first five days God creates by separating the chaos and bringing peace, not order, but peace. And on the sixth day, God creates these beings, the human beings in his image. And on the seventh day, God rests and God rests not because God was fatigued, but rather to display that God is going to practice what God preaches and preach what God practices. That rest indeed is the human vocation, a perfected love and a profound experience already present in our DNA. Work existed prior to the seventh day. The antithesis to rest is not work. It is apathy and injustice. Sin, as we define for ourselves what is good and evil for us, even at the cost of the people around us. It is good for me to rest now. And it is good for me to work now. Work is not the opposite of rest. Work is not the thing to resist or the thing to fear. It is the motivation behind the work. Are you hearing me? It is the motivation behind the work or the lack thereof that perverts what we consider the holy vocation of Shabbat Shalom. But if Christians wish to appropriate the Sabbath, from our Jewish brothers and sisters, we must account for the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the equation. Alas, Jesus is running too, we all are. But I ask, can we be truthful about our motivations? This morning, what are you running from? Can we confess the things that we're ashamed of, the things that terrify us? The gigantic golden acorn that we're striving towards, but continually get yanked back by the winds of the Spirit as soon as we leave the building. Jesus intentionally gets up at a ridiculous time to avoid traffic and in his his solitude, an interruption is presented. And rather than relying on his prayer time as a really good reason not to do anything, but to stay with God as God should do with God, Trinity, And rather than relying on that, Jesus says, I'm going to plunge back into the very world that I'm praying about. There is no amount of piety or spiritual discipline that takes precedence over the needs of God's very own people, the people of God. This is where you will experience the divine. So I ask, what is rest if not the beginning of restoration? Everyone is searching for you. And he says, let us go on to the neighboring towns. It's not even just about them. There's more out there who need to experience restoration, redemption, healing, rest. And I cannot rest until they rest. This is not to say go and do more work. This is to say, where is the motivation for the work you're already doing? Is it about you or is it about God's people? He exilically leaves town for the holy work set before him. Let us go. Let us go. Us. And just like the creation narrative, God is still in the business of collaboration. It's about Jesus and it's always been about Jesus, but it's also not just about Jesus. It's about you. It's about your community. It's about the nation. It's about the world in which you live. (laughs) The least that you did unto them, you did unto Christ. God collaborates, God invites, and God empowers the disciples who, in order to fulfill their human vocation, they must be obedient to God, obedient to the image of God within them that is revealed to and in all of humankind. For the sake of all of creation, all of creation must rest for us to rest So if your rest comes at the cost of your family, it is not rest. If it comes at the cost of your community, it's not rest. If it comes at the cost of the gospel of liberation, it is certainly not rest. It is just a distraction. But the burden is not yours to carry alone. It's a holy collaboration. It makes room for the spirit to lead into the most costly interruptions of all. Holy interruptions. Because if the needs of the community are a nuisance to you, the vocation of rest will forever evade you. No matter which distraction you choose, even if it begins with Genesis and ends with with Revelation. Even if that distraction tastes like honeyed bread and juice. Just like the unclean spirits that Jesus casts out during his teaching inside the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's really breaking the laws here. He brings restoration to the people and heals their bodies. And in doing so, Jesus disrupts demonic peace. The unclean spirits have a sound theology in what they profess. They do not tell a lie about who Jesus is. But they have an indifference to liberation, they have an apathy to salvation, and a proclivity to see Jesus and immediately be concerned with themselves. What will it cost me for Jesus to be present in our midst? Jesus is a threat to these demons, and believe me when I say I'm doing this and saying this with all love in my heart. They know God with their heads, but Jesus Christ is foreign to their entire being. Jesus Christ is an offense to their existence. And so I ask you today, do you know what rest looks like? Do you know what rest feels like? For the saints of old provide cautionary tales of following Christ requires one to become all things to all people. Unable to ignore their reality and to assume the position that they're in, even though you could very well avoid it, plunge deep into that. The saints of old warn of a life of freedom, which leads to slavery to all people, meaning the vocation is no longer self-serving. Rest has never been just about you. It's an outpouring of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the name of Jesus, the reign of the kingdom of God, not only with our lips, but with our lives, because there is no Sabbath mandate for the Israelites in Egypt. Because the holy work of liberation is yet to be realized. It would make no sense to tell a people who are enslaved, rest. They don't have a choice. There's many people still in slavery. In order for any one of them to live into the seventh day as God intended, they must be liberated. Liberated. If your freedom perpetuates the oppression and the suffering of other people who bear the image of God, you are not a slave to righteousness. No, you have become a slave master of injustice. Demonic proclamations of sound theology concerning Jesus's identity at the very best. And make no mistake, the Assyrian and Babylonian exiles recorded in the book of Isaiah are not the first exiles of the Hebrew Bible. Just as Adam and Eve find themselves outside of the Garden of Eden, Israel is also driven from the land that Yahweh promised them in Genesis. They are driven by famine into the land of Egypt. The first exile of the descendants of Abraham began with the big dreams of Joseph as he interpreted the faith of his family, the fate of his family, as he interpreted the fate of Pharaoh's cupbearer and chief baker. His riches and prosperity paved the highway to their eventual enslavement and holistic bondage. So you want to dream big for yourself, this is is where it heads, this is where it takes us. The big dreams concerning our reign, our authority and our image, our comfort, they create the walls of our own subjugation. Don't you see that the story has been written over and over and over and over again and nothing has changed? Not now and not then. Not in 2024 in the small town of Greenville, Illinois or first century Palestine or in the ancient Near East in antiquity. We share the same stories again and again and again. That to maintain your financial freedom and to be free from the toil of the soil, in the famine of the land is to murder the siblings who their blood cries out from the ground. Oh, how long, oh St. Paul's Free Methodist Church, how long will we scoff in God's face as he accuses us of being our brother's and sister's keeper. Too concerned with our studies and with our work to recognize Jesus in our midst. For those who have been battered though, And left for dead by the followers of Christ. Those who prioritize individual rest. Us with excess rooms in the inn, yet we shut out Joseph, Mary, and Jesus for no other reason other than discomfort. Indifferent to the empty stomachs of Jesus as we feast in abundance. Who mock the nakedness of our brothers and sisters as we layer up in the winter. A word to those who feel unseen and unheard by the church. God sees you, and God hears you. In the words of Walter Bugemann, the hope that the divine spirit breathes into our often skeptical and reluctant spirits translates itself ever anew into ethically concrete behavior whose object is to implement God's love for the world and all its creatures. God's future continuously breaks the dreaded patterns of cause and effect in which we both personally and corporately languish. In other words, my battered, my battered brother and my suffering sister. God is calling you into the restoration that you seek. As a matter of fact, God has chosen you before your ancestors existed that you might experience rest as Christ identifies with you in the breaking of the bread and in the pouring of the cup. So hear these words from the prophets of old and receive them, as did the returning exile. And walking in God's holy ways, draw near with comfort that you may delight in God's will and stroll alongside Jesus Christ. I want you to pay attention. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Indeed, It is God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and makes rulers of the earth as though they are nothing. And scarcely are these princes and rulers, and scarcely are they planted, are they sown, and scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. And when he blows upon them, they wither, and the tempest uh, carries them off like stubble. To whom then can we compare to God or who is God's equal? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created all of this. Who created all of this? From the birds of the air to the fish of the sea, all the way to the squirrels with the acorns in their trees. It is God who brings out their host and numbers them and calls them all by name because he is great in strength and mighty in power. And not one is missing, especially you. Why do you say then, O child of God, and believe the lie that my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known and have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? Here is the good news. That he does not faint, Or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable, and he gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. And to you he adorns the gift which you thought was a curse. For in your suffering you have known Christ all along. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will be exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. As you identify with Christ's death, so also you identify in the resurrection. That is your vocation for rest. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk, and they will not faint. Herein lies the conundrum that we met at the very beginning. At all times and in all places, we are simultaneously the oppressor and the oppressed. We are always the faithful and the disloyal. We are always the cupbearer and the chief baker we are always Judas and we are always Peter. If rest seems to evade you, if you find it to be elusive, it is likely not a matter of how much you're doing, but rather the source of your involvement and the motivation of your commitments. Most pressing of all, in which way are you identifying with Jesus? Is it good news that you have been called into the holy work of Shabbat? Not the individual Western perversion of self-preservation. Are you running from something or are you running towards someone? The Christian journey doesn't end with crucifixion. Crucifixion is how it begins. To follow Christ is to say yes to life, death, and resurrection. Whatever you believe about the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, it trains us to see that ordinary elements of bread and juice Possess divine love. Can I take it a step further then and say that we should also be trained to see that in the elements they have been crushed, mixed, and placed under unbearable heat only to rise to the occasion. Or that these elements have been pressed, beaten, destroyed, and drained while resisting the temptation to turn sour. They still preserve their sweetness. Out of such destruction we perceive the gateway between our life and our death our oppression and our liberation, our forgiveness and our damnation. Have you known and heard that the trip to the table isn't a moment for shame, but rather an occasion for joy, an opportunity to hear God's story, which courses through your veins. If you pay close attention, I want to point out that Simon, Lissy and Matthias remind us each week of their vocation to rest as it produces joy and not sorrow. Just like the beginning of Mark's gospel, it is not a shameful thing that we must confess and repent of our destructive ways, nor is it shameful for us to say that we need assistance. You cannot serve Jesus while still bedridden with a fever. So this medicine of immortality is offered to you each time that we gather, so that through you all peoples of all nations might be blessed by the living, dying, and resurrecting God, starting right here in this community, in this fellowship. This meal is an ancient covenant that every bloodline and every language knows of, as it retells the story of resurrection and how death provides life as well. Beware, however, that should you say yes to this journey, it will cost you your life. Your curses and your gifts are one and the same. And as the holy work of Shabbat and liberation beckon you to know and hear that death must always precede the resurrection. The weak shall be made strong and the dying shall live. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. If rest evades you, we embark on this journey together. That's the opportunity before us when we partake of the Eucharist. We have more than enough time to realize that love has always chosen us, and it has already chosen us. But you can't hate yourself into righteousness, and you can't hate yourself into faithfulness. Only by the love of God will this be true. Alas, Jesus is running to you. Will you receive the prophet that cuts you and the priest who heals you? This is the word of the Lord.